If you want to turn with me to Colossians, um, we're going to spend the next few weeks embarking on a journey through uh, the letter of Paul to the Colossians, where Paul clearly sets out his goal, he sets out to show that Jesus Christ is unrivaled. He's unequaled, supreme, there's no one close to him, no one on his level. And the reality is, is that we as believers are to display that in and through our lives. And, and Paul's great purpose in this letter is to set forth the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And we need this today. We, we live in a world that, that, that wants to say that one religion is just, just as good as another. We live in a world that, that thrives on competition, that thrives on rivalries. We, we try to manufacture rivalries even in the sports world. And to many, to many, even inside the church, Jesus simply becomes one of several great religious teachers. We'll take a little bit from Jesus, we'll take a little bit from this, we'll take a little bit from that, we'll take a little bit of this, we'll pull them all together and, and we'll have a complete best practices. And in many of our lives, Jesus may be prominent, but is Jesus preeminent? Is Jesus without rival? Most of us, most of us would not be so bold. Even in, even in the day when Paul wrote Colossians, the same thing was present. Many would not be so bold as to deny Christ altogether, but have you dethroned Christ and robbed him of his rightful place? of unrivaled preeminence. Not denying Him altogether, but simply dethroning Him. Or maybe elevating other things on a par level with Him. Again, that's the issue of Colossians, and I would bet that that's the issue with most of us. Not altogether denying Christ, but dethroning Him. Simply allowing rivals to exist, as in Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, as in the Yankees and the Red Sox, as in Florida State, Florida, although Florida State has killed Florida lately, so that's not really a rivalry. Just want to get that in. But there are rivalries. Rivalries exist. Ask the Hamptons about Duke and North Carolina growing up in North Carolina. Really, as, the, as, as Chris said in that video, rivalries exist because they're, they appear to be equals. There's competition. The, the outcome is uncertain. And, and the challenge for us as believers, is that what we're communicating about Christ through our lives? Is the outcome uncertain? Is Christ preeminent? Again, not 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 dethroning not denying christ altogether but simply dethroning him communicating to the world that he is less than this all-sufficient god that he is and the reality the challenge the danger is that when we do that we communicate we communicate before a false before a watching world a false vision or a false version of christianity when i was a recreation pastor the thing i would hate most i would hate it kids would say we don't like x we don't we don't like baseball we don't like softball we don't like soccer whatever it was 
Sometimes that was true, but in most, most, most cases, what the kid was really saying is, I didn't like the way that sport was presented to me by the coach. They didn't hate the sport. They hated the way it was presented to them. And many people in this world have a, have a vision or an idea of Christianity, and they're not, they're not delighted or drawn to Christianity, not because of Christianity itself, but because of the way Christianity is communicated to them by Christians. That's the challenge. Not denying Christ altogether, simply dethroning Him and portraying to a watching world that He's less than the all-sufficient, all-sustaining, awesome God that Paul writes to the Colossians to say that He is. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, listen to what it says. Again, this is in the context of working out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for His good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, 12, 13, and, and, and then he goes on to say, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. He's saying... God doesn't want a bunch of people out there in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation grumbling and bemoaning His authority and His goodness and His, and His role as Father in their lives. Guess what? That got an entire generation of Israelites killed. Grumbling. Grumbling. Presenting before a watching world uh, the, their God as being less than who He really is. That that's the issue of Colossians. The goal is that Christ would be preeminent in everything, that we would have no rivals. And so as we move into Colossians, before we get in there, I want to I take a few weeks to set the context, to set the stage. Because just like in Colossians, you and I have a tendency today Again, not to deny Christ, but to dethrone Him. And we do that by how we wrongly relate. We, we as Christians, I want to give us over the next few weeks, I want to give us four postures. And, and I'm reading a book, I don't want to take credit. There was a book referred to me, and it's called With. And uh, I've enjoyed reading that book. And, and uh, the author presents four, four wrong postures that we assume as Christians with regards to how we relate to God. And he builds, and where we're going with this is really, he goes to, to life with God is the goal. Life with God. From Philippians 3, where Paul says, that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, I have counted all things as dung, he says literally, in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Life with God. And over the next few weeks, I want us to, to look at four postures. Today, because I knew there was so much going on today, we're only going to look at one. But the four postures are this. Life for God. Life from God. Life over God. And life under God. 
And all four of those, you and I have a tendency to fall in a rut and a habit of relating to God in all four of those ways at different times in our lives. And I want to diagnose those because what we're missing, what we're missing when we settle for those is we're missing life with God. Fellowship. The word know in the Bible, when you see that, when Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, it's an experiential knowledge. It's an intimate relationship. It's not, it's not, again, as we've said, it's not answering questions about God. It's not just simply knowing verses. It's knowing the God behind those verses. It's having a relationship, a real relationship with the God behind those verses. We serve, this Bible offers us a real and personal God. That alone sets Christ and the God of this Bible apart from every other so-called religion that this God can be known. That, that, it, that God is not some impersonal force. He's not, he didn't just spin the world into motion and then step back and say, good luck. He's a real personal God. And the question that I want us to think about as we walk through these is, when you see it in your hand, that would you say that you currently enjoy a personal communion with God? Do you enjoy being loved and living with the God of this Bible? Do you enjoy that? Again, you're not just married. Do you enjoy being married to the one whom you're married to? Do you enjoy your relationship with God? Because what's behind where we tend to go and what's behind all of these false postures? It was an issue in Colossians. The issue is, again, Hebrews, it, it, without faith, without faith, Hebrews 11, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Faith. And what you and I want to do, you and I have a tendency to do, is to relate to God in a way that seeks to control Him instead of trust Him. We, 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 want, we gravitate to things, and again, that's what all the false religions, all the paganistic religions, all those things, they were not relating to God, they were trying to control God. They would do what they did in order to get God to do what they wanted Him to do. They would sacrifice, why? So God would rain on their crops. They would sacrifice so that God would do... They were trying to put God in a position where He had to do what they wanted Him to do. And all of us, all of us have a tendency. I mean, and, you, and you'll see it, like today we talk about our prayers... But you think about it, when, when things happen, do you, do, you, do you assume a posture of, God, I go to church, why did this happen? That's a wrong posture before God. You're essentially saying to God, I did my part, God, why did you not do your part? Our relationship to God is not a cause-effect relationship. It's not, okay, God, I'll take your salvation, and then I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to live by all the wise principles of the world. It's not that either. It's not... I really have a desire to be a doctor, but if I really want to be spiritual, I've got to be a missionary. That's not it either. God gets great glory through you being a doctor if that's what he's gifted and, and given you a passion for. We need godly doctors. Again, wrong posture. 
And all of us, all of us can assume those postures. And, 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 and the danger, hear me, the danger in all of those is it does not show Jesus Christ as sufficient. It doesn't display Jesus Christ as preeminent before a watching world. Ultimately, who's preeminent? You are. You and I become preeminent. And, and, the fall, and, and what we want, again, even this weekend in waiting on Greg and Anna Kayla, you know, you know why it's hard to wait? Because I have no control over what they're going to choose. Zero. Even when he called me Thursday, every bit of my flesh wanted to sell him on Odessa. And the whole conversation for over an hour, God just said, just trust me. Just trust me. You don't need to sell him. You don't need to convince him. I could guilt him. Matthew 10, 7, Greg, you know, I mean, 10, but I'm like 34. Whoever doesn't love his father and mother more than he loves me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Get on down here, big boy. Come on. Again, who's that? who am I serving? I'm serving Chris. Serving Chris. I'm serving God. Wrong posture. I'm looking for control. I'm looking for security. And I'm looking for it in self-manufacturing, self-weighed ways, instead of trusting the God who has promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I gave you my son. You don't think I'm all in, Chris? And But yet, in my tendency, I have a tendency to, again, to, to, to want to control him. And in Colossians, we'll see, they were offering food and drink and visions and not eating this and eating that and all these things because they were offering the Colossians a, a higher level of intimacy with God. And, and if you really want God to do something, you do this. No, no, we have the fullness in Christ. Christ. Christ is preeminent. My relationship with God is because of the work of Christ. Christ is preeminent. Again, to, 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 hope, to hope in something else is to sever yourself from Christ's power. That's what, that's what the problem in Colossians, that's our problem. You begin to hope in something other than the work of Christ, and you sever yourself from the real power. You sever yourself from the relationship. Again, any teaching... Any teaching that questions the sufficiency of Christ, not only for initial salvation, but also for spiritual growth and ultimate salvation from judgment, is false and is to be fleed from. That's what Paul is saying. Flee. It falls short of real relationship with Christ. Again, without faith, it's impossible. And you see on your handout, we fall short of real communion with God when we begin to relate to Him in ways that ultimately are not seeking to worship or enjoy Him, but rather to control Him, to manipulate Him in some form or fashion, or simply feel like we need to appease Him. God, I offer, I gave you an offering today. Why'd my washing machine break? God, I go to church every week. Why'd you let this happen? Again, wrong posture before God. Wrong posture. When we do that, listen to me, when we do that, we're basically presenting Christianity before a watching world as just another form of paganism. I offered my pig, God, rain on my crops. I offered my pig, God, why, why am I sick? 
And, and again, I want us to experience real communion. I want us to present before a watching world that Christ is supreme. No matter what. No matter what. It's the same thing that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, for this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond, far beyond all comparison. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware in Philippians of my sufferings, that, that they've turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, that through my imprisonment the whole praetorian guard has trusted in the gospel. In prison. Wrong posture would be, God, I preach the gospel, I've given my life to you, why am I in prison? You know what God's answer would be? For the gospel. Paul later on would say, Then I have counted all things in loss, counted all things as loss compared to the surpassing value of greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish and may be found in not having a righteousness of my own, but derived from the... But that which is through Christ. Christ. Not a righteousness of our own. Not a doing. A being. A resting. In Christ. I don't want my kids waking up every day going to school thinking, I better do good, I better get straight A's, I better do all that so my dad will love me. I want them going to school every day saying, I know my dad loves me. And I'm going to do my best. And he loves me. That's God. He loves us. And these are, these are false postures. I want us to avoid these false postures. Not only for our sake, but more than that, for God's sake. And I'm not saying that tritely. I mean for God's sake, for His glory. And the first, the first posture that I want us to look at today, and we wouldn't have time to cover, so we're just doing one. There's probably wisdom in there that I need to learn from anyway. It's this, the life from God, life from God posture. And I want to describe this in a way that allows us to maybe, in all of these, I want us to be able to diagnose when we fall into these postures in our own lives. So, we can, so that we can repent and run from them. You see A in your hand now. The person who has assumed the posture of life from God is that person who has begun to relate to God in a way that is more concerned with the blessings of God than the person of God. More concerned about what you can get from God than who God is. And in this case, the blessing becomes the rival. And let me explain how subtle this can be. This can be as subtle, even in the church, as a gospel presentation that begins with, do you want to go to heaven? I hear that all the time. Do you want to go to heaven? Well, okay, I, it, that can be real dangerous depending on where the person goes from that, the person presenting, where you go from that. Because again, this, that question can set a person off down a road in a wrong way to relate to God. Because once you get heaven, why do I need God? Once I get my ticket into heaven, I don't need God anymore because he's already accomplished what I needed him for, so then I can just walk away and do my own thing. I'm in heaven. I'm good to go. You see, and, and again, 
The, the gospel you have presented has been divorced from any notion of a relationship with God. Any a divorce from any notion of discipleship, any notion of growing. Why? Because I've already got heaven. I've got what I wanted. Now I have no need for God anymore. So people express a faith in Christ simply to go to heaven and not to go to hell versus being reconciled to a holy God and having their sins forgiven and entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see the difference? You see how subtle it can be? Listen, why is heaven heaven? Because one person dwells there. Heaven without God is not heaven, that's hell. The goal of heaven is God. But please see that it's not simply going to heaven. It's going to heaven and being in an eternal relationship with God. Fleeing this, or being shed of this sinful body and being in perfect communion in awe of God. That's heaven. It's so much more than just, the gospel and salvation is so much more than just simply having your sins forgiven. Your sins forgiven is the mean to which you enter into communion with God. Your sins were the reason you couldn't be in communion with God. And if we come to God in the gospel simply to have our sins forgiven and not to get the God behind the forgiveness of sins, we've missed it. And if that's what we present before a watching world, we're portraying a false gospel. We're not being lights. We've assumed a posture before God that falls short. And again, even, even this gospel, do you want to go to heaven? Again, control versus faith. I've got my ticket. I'm good. No, faith. Perseverance in that. Waking up every day in spite of your circumstances and trusting in the sufficiency of Christ, that's the gospel. It, the gospel is not a way, again, in that sense, God simply becomes a means to get what you want rather than to get God who is actually the treasure. And that, the, that gospel is, and the gospel of this Bible is not a way to get people to heaven as much as it is to get people reconciled to a holy God. Please hear that. Reconciliation is the heart. And, don't, and again, when we, when we, when we, when we pre preach that, we miss the relationship. There's a relationship offered to you. Again, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That word know is an experiential thing. It's not a factual thing. It's an experiential. It's, it's literally, again, the picture of marriage. It's living with your spouse every single day. You know your spouse. Do I know Todd and Ashley Rickle? I know Todd and Ashley Rickle. Do I know them as well as they know each other? I do not. Why? Because they're married and they live with each other. I know facts about them, but I guarantee you they know each other a whole lot better than I do. That's the relationship that God wants. Not factual. Experiential. And again, we're picturing God before a watching world in a wrong way when we believe that God simply exists to achieve what we desire in life. Sort of a, a divine butler and a divine therapist all in one. Like, we go to the Bible, when I got a problem, I find the answer, and I'm good, and I walk away. That's not a relationship. 
No less than if I as a husband only go to Karen when I want something in return. That's not a relationship. If you as a parent knew that there was a kid that was only friends with your child because of what they got from your child, would you let that kid, would you be real happy about that? Come on over, Johnny. Come use my kid to play the PlayStation. I almost said Nintendo. That's what I grew up with. I guess Nintendo exists still. Come on over and play the Galaxy. I know you don't like my son, but just come over here and play the Sega. Come over and eat all my food. I know you hate my son's guts, but just come play with my food. Come swim in my pool. That's life from God. It may look like we just come to God to get our questions answered. Then when we get our question answered, we moved on. We come to God to get our problems solved. When we get our problems solved, we move on. We come to God when, during trials when it's good. Where is, where is Joe? I don't know. Wait till something bad happens. You'll see Joe again. That's a life from God posture. And again, I'm not saying that we don't pray for provision from God. We clearly see in Matthew 7 and others that we are to pray. But what I'm saying is when that single aspect of our walk takes precedence over everything else, when all we do is come to God and ask versus praise and seek and confession and communion, when our prayer life is all about gimme, 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 and it's all demands and want, you've assumed, you may have assumed a life from God posture. And again, you see it on your handout. When life from, the life from God posture is when God's gifts become the primary focus of the relationship. I give you the prosperity gospel. Alive and well. That's a life from God posture. And again, what we want is control, and we think we control God. The problem is when calamity strikes, you're, you realize you're totally out of control. The life from God posture doesn't answer the main problem that you have, and that's control. God is in control. You and I aren't in control. But the beauty of what he's offered is an intimate relationship of the one who is in control. And he has said he's for you and not against you. And again, with this posture, the the problem is this, and the, the, the attraction is this, but the problem is this. Nothing is really disrupted in our lives when we assume this posture. We simply project our values and way of life upon God. There's a, there's a phenomenon in, 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 circ, in some seminary circles and, and Bible colleges and that, and there's some professors who, in theology class, they'll ask their students the very first day, ask you one question, what is Jesus like? Students, write it down, very first day of class. And then they'll ask this question, what are you like? Students, write it all down. The phenomenon is this. 95% of the time, the two descriptions are almost exactly alike. Here's the point. We tend to think of Jesus the way we think of ourselves. We tend to think Jesus likes everything we like, values everything we like, does everything, like, acts like, and that couldn't be farther from the truth unless you're submitting yourself to him. And the process of sanctification, and now your, your desires are becoming like his desires. In that case, you may become like him, but he's not becoming like you. That's the difference. And that's a life from God posture. And we assume God loves what we love, likes what we like, pursues what we do. That's a life from God posture. Secondly, the life from God posture is so appealing and tempting because it doesn't ask or demand us to change. It requires no change. 
God sort of becomes a holding vending machine. We put our money in, we get what we ask for. Hey, it's a good relationship. If that was the way it was. And again, God demands very little of us. Why? Because we think he's just like us. Generally just approves of everything we say and do and want to pursue. Why? Because he's like us. And that's not true. Our needs become the deciding factor. And even God's value begins to become determined by his usefulness to us. And again, nothing wrong with asking God for blessings and nothing wrong with praying. Miss Monica, who just left, she's got tests this week, serious tests. Sandy Guthrie, I'm asking for God to do things there. But guess what? Yes or no answer, I'm still going to praise God. Because I don't worship Him for the answer. I worship Him for Him. And again, what you're trusting in is the answer. You're not trusting. I want us to be a people who are resting and trusting in Him, not His provision. In Him. I mean, I, your kids may have said, to, like mine or maybe not, Dad, why do you, why do you, seems like you say no to a lot. I'm like, well, it's because you ask a lot. And a lot of what you ask for don't make a whole lot of sense. But my point is this, trust me. I want you to trust me. Trust me that I'm for you. I may not give what you want on that exact time. I mean, my son wanted to, he, he, I mean, he, you, or there are kids in general, they, 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 they got to learn to trust us. Trust us. I'm for you, not against you. And, and again, you, you look at your prayer life, self-diagnosis, look at your prayer life. Number one, how much do you pray? What prompts your prayers? You only run to God in a crisis? You mainly run to God when you need something? You exhaust all your resources, and then when it really comes to where you realize you ain't got nothing to offer, now it's, uh, you, you know, we assume this posture of prayer like, I prayed, did it come to that? Life from God posture. Maybe, maybe, maybe our prayer life is, a, is like a warning dashboard on a, a warning light on our dashboard that we've fallen into a life from God posture, that our, that our prayers are more about getting God to become like us than us becoming more like God. It's getting God to yield to us instead of getting us to yield to God. And how do you respond when God doesn't answer your prayers? That can be an indication. How, does, how do you respond when God doesn't answer your prayers? How do you handle trials, suffering? See, the life from God posture has no answer to trials. Like, hey, I did all the right things. Why? Good question. Ask Job. Have some time when you ask Job, though. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Romans 8.18 says, I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Again, we talked about 2 Corinthians 4.16. God is using our suffering to conform us to creating us a hope for him and not a hope for this world he's using them there is nothing wasted before a sovereign god that's the beauty of trials do i understand them no people come to me want answers i don't have them but here's what i can introduce you to the god who does the god who's sovereign over your trial again thirdly you see all life from god posture sees no possibility for redemption in the trials no purpose no good thing 
They see no, nothing good can be about this. The reality is Romans 8.28 says very opposite. That God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. This room is filled with, filled with people who have walked through things that I would have never wanted them to walk through. And yet God has worked in every single one of them. Genesis 50, 20, from the very beginning, you meant to, for, Joseph sold into slavery. He finally meets back up with his brothers, all this. You know what he says? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And when we assume a life from God posture, again, trials don't make any sense. And again, we want to numb ourselves through entertainment and distraction and, and, and we, don't, we just want to get through something instead of God actually accomplishing in us what He wanted to accomplish in us. What time is it? I think my watch stopped. That's bad news for y'all. What time is it? 10.38. See that? Mine says 10.24, so I got 14 minutes built in there. We got to hurry now. Man, I thought I, thought I was doing good. The, the point is this. A life from God posture has no resources to help us with our pain. No resources. Some of what you have gone through and some of what we go through as Christians make no sense except for this, that you would know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. That you would know Christ. Why? Know me better. Why? Because I'm going to pull you in and I'm going to know you better and you're going to know me better. And if not for anything else, listen to me. By faith, we have got to be a people that says that is okay. Why? Because He's worth it. That's why Paul says... I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. He walked away from everything to know Christ. C.S. Lewis once famously said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Again, I'm not saying pursue sin and suffering and all this stuff, but listen to me. God's sovereign over that. He's doing something in that. It's not wasted. It's not. It's not wasted. Do, do trials draw you away from Christ? Or do trials make you long for Him more and long for something better, namely God and His kingdom, and make us long for heaven? Again, life from God posture versus with God. Again, do you just want to numb yourself and ignore what's going on with distractions? Or do you say, God, what are you teaching me? What are you doing in me? Again, different posture. And you see it on your handout. In your trials, are you seeking distraction? Are you seeking deliverance? Again, no, life from God posture sees little to no redemptive purposes that God might have in pain and suffering. Seeks comfort in things rather than the one who alone can deliver us. And spiritual pain, you see it on your handout, awakens our souls to seek a beauty and a justice and a freedom beyond what this world can provide. Again, it's, it's seeking stuff without seeking Him. Listen to what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 15. 
verses 8 through 10. He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophecy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Doing a lot of good stuff. But it wasn't from a heart that wanted to seek God. Again, it was selfish. It was self-centered. It was, it was control-oriented. Control your circumstances. Control your environment. Put God in a position where He has to do what you think He has to do. I mean, you think about the... In, in, I, I, was, I was reading and the guy talked about in many ways, we're kind of like spiritual lepers. And he talked about, the author talked about Luke 15, the prodigal. The prodigal son basically goes to his father and says, give me all the blessings now so I can enjoy them now and I can waste them on myself now. That's a life from God posture. Missed the relationship with the father. Totally missed it. Valued the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. Ultimately, the son only wanted what the father could provide. Not the father. And the question today is, is that you today? Have you missed the giver of the gifts for the gifts? Next, we see the life from God posture is, is a form of idolatry. Because it values what is created over the creator. Romans 1, 18, 32, we won't read it, but it, that's exactly where it is. It, they did not, they, even though they knew God, it says they did not give thanks nor glorify God in exchange they worship the created over the creator. That's idolatry. And, and again, these idols, and this is where, again, I talk about control. I, my flesh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this. I'm working on this right here when Greg called me. And, and I, this is not about, not, I, I did not say this, Greg. I don't think this issue, Greg. I'm just saying we got to be careful not to have a life from God posture because I could have used the Bible in a wrong way to coerce him to come when that's not the use of the Bible. Because ultimately, you know what? It, it would have been about me. It wouldn't have been about Greg. It would have been about me. I want Greg to do what's most glorifying to God and best for his family. I, I, I'll deal with the consequences. Now, the search committee is going to quit. They're never going to do this again. But I'll deal with it. And hear me, even in this situation, even in this situation, hear me, I'm learning to trust. I'm learning to trust. To not do a bunch of stuff to get God to do what I think He ought to do. Or other people by that means. I'm learning to trust God. Tim Keller, in his book, Again, these aren't necessarily bad things that we exalt to the improper place. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he said, idols are good things turned into ultimate things. Where we take good things and turn them into the ultimate things. God has certainly blessed us, but they cannot become the focus of, or the desire and replace the giver of the things. I mean, that's what, that's what G Jesus says in, in Matthew 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
He who, does, he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost it for my sake will find it. Our husbands and wives, sons and daughters, they're, not, they're good things. Children are a what? Gift of the Lord. But when they become the ultimate thing, you, you've put them in a wrong position. Again, more than me. He says, when you love them more than me. And in Matthew 6, 19, it was wealth. In Luke 9, 58, it was a comfortable home. In Matthew 6, it was reputation. In 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about riches. What's the problem with riches? He says in verse 17, you begin to put your hope in the riches. That's the problem. Now the riches are in competition. I mean, even as a husband, I think about this off the cuff, but if, if I, I enjoy playing golf. Suppose I, but, but, but that's not a bad thing, but suppose I want to play it seven days a week. You know what Karen's going to say? Golf, though it's a good thing, has now become an enemy of our home. Golf in and of itself is not an enemy of our home. I've elevated it to an equal status to our home, and now it's become a rival. It's become an enemy. When we do that with God's blessings, now God has rivals. And again, for our own spiritual health, and for the health of those watching, God is saying, don't do that. Paul in Colossians is saying, don't do that because Christ alone is preeminent. And true Christianity is placing our hope in Christ and not the gifts. It's Christ. God is not the family therapist. He's not the financial planner. He's not a political advisor. He's Lord. He's Lord. What we need most is Him. And when we have that relationship with Him, here's what I know. All these other issues fall into place, but they're sourced in Him. In Him. A tight relationship with Him. Intimate with Him. And, and you see it in your hand out there. When we fixate on what we can attain from God, we fail to experience the blessing of His presence in our lives and the relationship with God. Christ and God are the prize. They're the prize. Genuine relationship with God through Christ. That's what is missing. Again, eternal life is about knowing experientially and intimately the Father and Jesus Christ whom He sent. And what we see in Colossians, what we're building to, is that before a watching world, we are to display that Christ is unrivaled. And listen to what He says in Colossians 1.18. This is the key passage, verse 13 through 18, and I'll close. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, talking about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Listen, here it is. Key verse in Colossians. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's the goal of Colossians. That's God's goal in your trial. That's God's goal in your success. That's God's goal in your job. That's God's goal in your family, in your 
personal life that Christ would be preeminent. First place in everything. And that's our goal. That's my goal for this series. And the good news is this, whether it was devotion or desperation that motivated the son in Luke 15 to return home, it ultimately didn't matter because when the father saw his son from far away, what did the father do? He ran to him. He ran to him. The good news is this, if, if you've assumed, if you have accidentally assumed or come in here today knowing a life from God posture, repent. Repent. Don't, don't miss the relationship that God has offered you through His Son. Repent. He will run to you. The, the picture there in Luke 15, if you could understand it, of a father picking up his outfit and showing his legs to run to his son would have been humiliating. Humiliating for a father to do that. I mean, God humiliated His Son, the death of a criminal, so that you and I could be forgiven. I mean... I think about my own sin, and that is dumbfounding. That's dumbfounding. And yet he did that for the whole world. And then I'm going to treat him as a, a, a vending machine? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Repent. If you don't know this, if you don't know this Christ today, you're still in your sin, repent. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What? If we'll repent. Run from your sin to God. Run from the things of this world to God. Make the relationship about knowing God, not the gifts.